Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to Pirates Talk. Well, it wasn't easy, but Seton Hall secured a hard-earned victory over Georgetown on Tuesday. Trailing in the second half, the Pirates rallied behind the 21-point effort of Trey Jackson, who was inserted into the starting lineup by head coach Kevin Willard as Willard tries to find the right combination to restore Seton Hall's mojo and get the ship headed in the right direction. No, it wasn't easy, but it was a must-win. A loss to the last-place Hoyas would have been another blow to the Pirates' postseason hopes, which still remain strong as long as they finish strong. Bryce Aiken missed the game, still sidelined with concussion issues. There's no timeline for his return. It could be Friday night, we're recording this on Thursday, when Creighton pays a visit to Prudential Center, or really, who knows? Brain injury recovery varies from individual to individual. Here's hoping that Aiken returns to good health, that's the most important thing, and that he can get back into the lineup soon. My guest today is Zach Braziller of the New York Post. Zach is the college basketball and college football writer columnist for the Post. He's here to give us the 411 on the Big East, the Hall, St. John's, and the national scene. Now that's a tall task, but he's the right man for the job. It's my pleasure to welcome Zach Braziller to Pirates Talk. Zach Braziller, thank you so much for giving me your time. It's a busy part of the calendar and busy for you, and you got a game tonight and all that sort of stuff, but I really am appreciative that you've carved out a little time for Pirates Talk. Thank you. Yeah, man, my, uh, my pleasure, Matt. I appreciate you having me on. Well, as I mentioned in the introduction, college football, college basketball, columnist and writer, I mean, you're a big voice in the metropolitan area. And so I'm very pleased to be able to have you on the show. So let's just talk about a game that you're going to cover. And in this <laughs> COVID world that we're still dealing with, it'll be done on a virtual basis. But you've got Georgetown and St. John's tonight. And the question I have is, what has happened to St. John's? A little bit to Georgetown. I mean, they went to the NCAA tournament last year, but I think that was a bit of pixie dust and a, a dust and a, a unicorn situation. But anyway, what's happened to these two teams this year? Well, I mean, Georgetown lost. They think they lost four or five starters from last year's team. And, you know, last year, their team last year kind of just, you know, they had, like you mentioned, they had this magical Big East tournament run. But then after the year, you know, they had a few super seniors who left. And Kudus Wahab, their, you know, their, their, their center who was so good for them in March, transferred to to Maryland. So, you know, they, they lost, they lost a lot of key guys. I mean, Doc Harris was really their only returning starter. So they were, look, I believe they were picked 10th out of 11 teams. I would have picked them 11th. I came in the year not expecting much out of them. St. John's is very different. I mean, St. John's was supposed to be a tournament team. That was really supposed to be the baseline for this year. And that their hope was maybe they could win a game or two in the tournament. And, you know, the projection of that was just way off. I mean, this team just, just not a good team. I, I don't think that you can really argue otherwise when you consider we're in early February and they really, you know, they have one win of note at Seton Hall. I mean, that's, that's really all they have. Um, yeah, it just, it just hasn't worked for them this year. It's, it's just been such a disappointing season. Yeah. As we record this 11 and nine overall and three and six in the big East and they're, just above only DePaul and Georgetown. And the coaches, going back to the preseason poll, voted them fourth. And it's it's interesting because they were pretty good at getting the top, the coaches, Villanova, UConn, Xavier, they're three of the top teams. But they kind of missed on St. John's. And they missed on Providence, too. Providence was picked overall to finish seventh behind Butler. 
So on the other side of what's gone right, <laughs> what's happened positively for the Providence Friars? Yeah, well, not just them. You have Marquette too. Marquette, we yes. can pick and Marquette is might be the best team in the league right now. You know, look, Providence had had some had had three down years. You know, they but but what they did was they've had tra- they brought in transfers. You know, they they brought in um, Justin Manaya, the son of Om- of the former Mets GM Omar Manaya, who's you know been terrific just as a you know, a lockdown wing defender. Then they have a few transfers who they brought in last year who weren't great in their first year when you talk about Jared Bynum and Noah Horkler, and they've been phenomenal for them this year. Just just been have just been terrific. And you can also throw in Ed Croswell too. So they've had transfers who didn't maybe hit immediately, but this year ha- have been great. And you know, Nate Watson and their their big man has been terrific and Ed Cooley's doing a really good job. That's it. It's an experienced old team that really hadn't put it together, but it's just everything has kind of clicked for them this year. 19 and 2 and 9 and 1 in the conference. They've won six straight. Now, as would be expected when you have the success that Ed's had this year, uh, there is an opening at Maryland. And I saw a story in the Washington Post the other day, and his name got mentioned as a possibility. If you're good, there's always a thought that, well, you know, the musical chairs game will lead you to another opportunity. Just overall, do you see him being a candidate there? I know Kevin Willard early was mentioned as a possibility. And from a national perspective, Maryland to me is still a great job. It's still a basketball school. We know that. Uh, what What do you think happens there? I think, now, I'm not saying he won't be a candidate, but I think they're going to swing for the fences, at least initially. You know, they, they get rid of Turgeon and... You know, Turgeon's a guy that's got this team in the tournament. You know, the, the reason they really parted ways with Turgeon is they wanted they're, they're after Final Fours. They want to contend for national championships, and that wasn't happening with him. He was recruiting well. They were making the tournament most years, but they weren't quite as successful as they wanted. I don't know if Ed Cooley, you know, Ed, Ed, Ed's never gotten you know past the the gotten to the second weekend. You can and the same thing with Kevin Willard. Yes. Now, I'm not saying those guys will not be candidates, but I think they're going to. They're going to shoot higher. You know, obviously, um, there were talks about possibly Bruce Pearl. That's not going to happen. Um, he, he just signed a, a huge extension. I, I think they're I think they'll take a look at, you know, some coaches at football schools, Nate Oates, uh, Chris Holtman. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if they made a run at Mike Boynton at um, Oklahoma State. I think they're going to shoot higher than Cooley and Willard, but I do think they'll they will both be candidates, but like I said, I, I think they're they're looking for someone that can get them to a national championship, and I think they'll make a look. At, I think they'll make a run at, at Rick Pitino too. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah, he would. I mean, he's done such a marvelous marvelous job at I own, and he's back in the game. And I know he's fired up about that, but he also realizes how hard it would be to get to that national championship out of Iona. And yeah, he wants to be back and, and back back with a vengeance. So you're right. He probably will drop his hat in there too, very quietly perhaps, but will let his intentions be known. I said Maryland is is still a very good job. Is it? I mean, they have those high expectations, but is it still a plum job on the national scene? Yeah, I think it's still a really good job. I mean, it's the 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 area right around there is just so good recruiting wise. It's a it's a basketball school. Um, obviously the big 10 is a really, really good conference. Yeah. I think it's still a really good job. Um, 
you know, I don't like I mentioned those guys from those football schools. I don't know if they would if they would leave for Maryland just because they have pretty good situations. But those are to me are the kind of guys you would think they'll they'll zero in on at least um, at least initially. But, yeah, I, I think it's there's no doubt it's a really good job to me. It's at least a top 10 to 15 job in the country. When 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 they got it rolling there, the place is sold out that, you know, it's just there's just so easy to recruit in that area. The talent is, you know, is through the roof. Um, so, yeah, I think I do think it's a good job. But, you know, they obviously got to got to make a good hire here. A couple of more questions on the national scene, then we'll dive in uh, to Seton Hall here. What are some of the surprises from your eyes this year, both positive and negative on the national side? Um, you know, to me, one big positive is just how, how much balance there is. I mm-hmm. think you have about nine teams that can win a national title. There isn't one team in the country that if you told me they wouldn't make the final four, I'd be surprised. I think it's, I think you're going to have, it's going to, you know, sweet 16 elite eight is going to be phenomenal because there's, there's just so much depth in terms of good teams. You know, no one is to me, no one is great. You know, last year at this time, it was really Gonzaga and Baylor as, is there anyone that could derail that train? And no one could, although UCLA came close this year. It, there isn't like there, you know, it isn't like that. You know, you have Baylor, Kansas, Gonzaga, Duke, Kentucky. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm missing. I think Texas tech is very good. UCLA is very good. Arizona is very good. You have a lot of good teams that to me, you really can't, count anyone out but there's no one that's that good to where if they lost in the second round of the sweet 16 would you say wow that's just a stunner i i just i just i just think there's there's depth and balance and that's to me is makes usually makes for 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 a good march um you know that that that's at least kind of where i stand yeah and and you know what there's two great storylines there listen they're they're all great i mean if a team makes its way to the championship it's 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 a great ride and there are great stories I don't know if the country would root for Coach K in his final go round, but what a way to go out! Uh, right. And Gonzaga—they've been so good for so long, and yet they just can't get over that hump. Uh, I think those two teams would be the real Cinderella going to the ball. Uh, Gonzaga winning its first, and Coach K doing whatever number it is for him in the Blue Devils uh, and going out on, on a ride like that. But I don't know that a lot of people would be pulling for Duke in that circumstance. No, but, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. I think they 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 said you've got enough there, Coach K. But yeah, it's it's going to be a brilliant run as it always is. And the stories will develop before our eyes. So focusing now a little bit more on Seton Hall, your take on, on what we've seen. This team was highly ranked earlier in the year. They were on a run. They were uh, winning out of conference games, big sectional games. And there were thoughts, wow, this team's got it all. Experience, depth. They are a contender too, possibly, at least to get to a Final Four. And then things start to fall apart, some injuries and COVID and all that sort of stuff. What is, in your mind's eye, the Seton Hall story? Yeah, it's a, it's a team that's kind of had high highs and low lows. Um, I still think they're going to be a tournament team. I still think they could play their way into being a six or a seven seed. I know they didn't weren't great against Georgetown, but they won the game without Aiken. And obviously Bryce Aiken absence has been very significant. They, they really depend on him offensively. And, you know, as we've seen, 
but I still really like this team's depth. They still really like their defensive ability, their length. They got to get Aiken back, no question about it. But look, you never want to be at your best in late January, early February. I can see this team as we get to March kind of finding itself. They have a lot of home games. They get Creighton at home, which to me is a game they should win, even though Creighton is coming off a really nice win at UConn. Um, they get Xavier at home next week. I, you know, I still believe in this team's defense. Look, we've seen it throughout the Willard era, especially the years where they've been good. The team always seems to kind of take a dip in January or early February. And that's really why they haven't gone on any deep March runs because they, they shoot themselves in the foot with that, you know, little midseason slump. And instead of being a five or six seed, they're an eight or a nine seed. And that is real. It's really tough when you find yourself in that eight, nine, seven, ten to, to get to the second weekend. But I do think they can get Aiken back, which will help their offense. I, I, it was nice to see, you know, more of Trey Jackson, this team, look, this team needs more shooting to kind of open things up for their, for their, for their slashers and maybe more Trey Jackson, maybe more Jameer Harris um, could help that. So I, I still believe in this team. I still think they're going to be a tournament team, probably be, you know, somewhere between a seven or a nine seed. I think they're going to kind of, you know, this slump kind of comes at the right time where you, they're kind of, they're at the soft part of their schedule. I also think we shouldn't forget they did beat UConn. Who's very good. They beat Texas. They beat Michigan. They really should have beat Marquette at Marquette and Marquette's as good as anyone in, in this league right now. Um, and two of their league losses were when they had eight guys. You know, there are other teams in this league, UConn and Providence, who had COVID breaks and didn't come back until they were really fully operational and fully healthy. Seton Hall played at far than, you know, at far less than 100% and lost to Providence and Nova. And if they're 100% or even close to it, they probably win at least one of those games the way they were playing then. So I think that's all stuff that we need to factor in, but I still think this is going to be a team that'll be a factor in March and in the Big East tournament. And Kevin has mentioned that particularly as of late, saying he's trying to build this team's confidence up, adding two more wins to their their real total. Say, no, guys, we really have six, and we're much better, and this is what's happened, and and trying to get them to have the belief they had in themselves earlier in the year. Jameer Harris has talent the outside shot hasn't been there the way they would have liked although recently he's connected on a few does Aiken's absence help in a way not long term but a little bit to get Jameer more involved in the game and get his confidence back because you could see it he wasn't getting a lot of time and he wasn't connecting on shots and you know his shoulders kind of slumped when he headed to the bench after being taken out yeah um Look, they to me, he's definitely a guy that can help them. And Willard hasn't done a great job finding a role for him. Look, he's got a lot of guys, so I, I do kind of understand it. But Harris is a guy who can really hit shots, and that's something this team lacks. You know, it, there's no doubt. You know, it, 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 it's kind of like a similar problem I see with St. John's, where you have a guy like Montez Mathis who can really defend and you like his toughness, but he really is not a shooter. I kind of see that situation with, with Seton Hall where you have Kale, who is a terrific defender. He does a lot of things, but he can't really shoot very well, in, you know, aside when he gets hot. And 
it's kind of a similar thing. It's like you're it's it's kind of picking between defense and offense. You know, do you go with the defensive guy who might handcuff you on offense, but is going to help you at that end of the floor, or do you go with the offensive guy who maybe is going to give you give up some points, but could really stretch the court and make shots? It's you know, it's it's look, it's a tough decision. I mean, I to me, I think Seton Hall has so many good defenders and and guys with length that I would I would try to get more minutes for Harris. And look, maybe this Aiken absence kind of does that. But certainly you want Bryce Aiken back. Trey Jackson, as you mentioned, had the big game against Georgetown, 21 points, and he was five of nine from three. So they do need, as you mentioned, to get more offensive guys. I think they need to find some more offense from Jared Roden. I thought he was going to be in the talk for player of the year in the Big East, and head and shoulders would be the Seton Hall's, uh, the Pirates' best player. Not that he hasn't been good, but he hasn't been great. What's your observations as to why? Yeah, he's really struggled lately. I, there's no question about it. I, I think he's a little miscast as as kind of be the being the leading guy. I don't, you know, look. Teams are teams are now game planning for him more. He's the number one option, uh, especially without Aiken in there. And he's facing better defenders. And look, he's Jared is not a great shooter. He's at his best kind of when he's really attacking the basket, when he's getting offensive rebounds, um, when he's not forcing shots. And it feels like he's been pressing, you know, he's he that he's forcing too much. And I just, you know, I, I just think he's better as kind of your second guy. And that, you know, without Aiken has really put more pressure on him offensively too. And I think he's felt it. Um, I don't think he's having a bad year. I don't think he's having a good of a year as maybe people hope, but you know, it's still pretty early. It's early February is, you know, that's the thing about college basketball. You have a good February and March. No one cares what you did in December. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Isn't that? And conversely, if you start off great, but don't finish better, uh, no one really cares either. But you bring up an interesting point, and I hadn't thought about it for Jared Roden. Every player, and he may disagree if he was partaking in this conversation, but every player grows up and in their mind takes that last shot that wins the big game. Right. But when it comes to doing that, and I'm not saying he doesn't have the guts, but some guys are just better as the number two guy. Like, they're a little bit in the shadow. They're not the number one guy. And and maybe, as you have said, maybe that's really the role that he's better suited for. Uh, a lead dog, but not the lead dog. Yeah. No, I think that's completely fair. And, I mean, look, we, we've seen it without Aiken, you know, that Without you know, Kadari Richmond for all his talent is really not a, a, a three point threat, so the court is not spaced out enough, and you know, it's, so you have less driving lanes and you have more contested jump shots, and it really you know, to me, it's really impacted him. Uh, speaking with Zach Braziller of the New York Post, uh, so we've discussed a little bit of everything: uh, the Big East, uh, we've discussed the national scene, and of course, diving in to Seton Hall a little a little deeper. What has been the secret over the years of Kevin Willard's success? And as you followed him, how has he changed as a coach? And how has he, you know, matured into the person he's become? You know, to me the the key to the key to their success is is just been, you know, they they have this toughness about they've always kind of had this toughness about them where you're not going to outwork them. They're going to grind you down. They're going to play defense. They're going to rebound. 
they've, you know, they've never really been a great offensive team. They've, they've had a few teams that were very good offensively, but they're, you know, they're just, they're just a tough team that you, that, that difficult to play against, you know, and the thing I've liked about Willard is he, you know, he just, he adjusts for his talent. Um, you know, he, he, he's played, he played, he'll play different ways, you know, and I, I, I fully expect this team to figure it out with this team. I definitely think Aiken's injury has, has really hurt them, not just to not have Aiken, but just kind of, you know, Kadari Richmond was used to playing, you know, low 20 minutes. And now without Aiken, now all of a sudden he's playing high 30 minutes. And that's, that's a tough, and that's a tough, um, that's a tough transition. I just think what he's done more than anything is he has instilled a, you know, a lunch pail mentality into this program of this is what we're going to work hard. We're going to outwork you. We're going to defend. We're going to rebound. And that's really why they've been successful. You know, look, he's gotten some talented guys into this program. There's no doubt about it. It started with the Isaiah Whitehead recruiting class. But he he is not one because of talent. He's one because of guys getting better and because of how hard they pre- they play. That's why they've won. No question about it. That has been the, no pun intended, hallmark of his team. So uh, we'll leave you with these last couple looking to the crystal ball. We're a long way from the Big East tournament uh, and certainly even farther away from the start of the NCAA tournament. But give me a little crystal ball of the Big East the rest of the way and and what you see will happen at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I mean... I think you're. I think you're looking at seven tournament teams. Uh, I really think Seton Hall and Creighton are both going to get in. Uh, Creighton, obviously, with a huge win the other night against UConn. Um, in terms of who wins, to me, I think it's a three-horse race. Who wins the regular season? I think it's um, Nova, Marquette, or Providence. I don't. I don't see a another team there. <laughs> that really can win the league. I, I don't really quite, I, I think UConn's a good team. I don't think they're that good They're To me, they're still too limited offensively. They, they just had a recent five game win streak snap. And those five wins were against the bottom half of the league, St. John's Butler, Georgetown, DePaul. They really only have one quality league win at Marquette. And that was really before Marquette took off. I think the biggest tournament's going to be tremendous. I think the quarterfinal day is just going to be, you know, fantastic. It's going to feel kind of more like, the Big East used to feel um, before all the, you know, moving around and then the creating the new league. I think the league has cut, you know, six to seven really good teams. I'm including Seton Hall in that because I do think they're going to figure it out by March and be, and be a, a legitimate factor. I think the league is really good. I think it's going to be fun and, and suppose it's going to be normal from everything I hear that it's going to be in-person access for media. It's going to be full crowds. Um, and look, we haven't really had a real Big East tournament now, you know, the last two years, you know, two years ago, obviously got canceled. And last year, there were really no fans. It just lacked everything you come to expect from the Big East tournament. And I like the fact that the ACC is in town this year and it'll kind of be like the second show. And the Big East will really take center stage because it's obviously a far superior league this year than the ACC. Yeah, the ACC has fallen off and those words are magic. To Big East basketball fans, the city will be alive and uh, the garden will be jumping. And amen to getting back to uh, a lot of in-person stuff. I I understand what we've come through. I understand the ramifications of a pandemic. I'm not saying there was nothing to worry about, but I think we're all weary. It's been two years and 
it'll be nice to see a little step closer to normal when it comes March for the Big East tournament. Zach, thank you so very much for your time. Really appreciated it. Yeah, man, my uh, my pleasure. Anytime, all right? And that will do it for this edition of Pirates Talk. Let's see what the future brings. Creighton will be a challenge. Their win over UConn this week got everyone's attention. Then it's Xavier at home on Wednesday, followed by road games against Villanova and UConn. There are nine games remaining on Seton Hall's schedule, with the postponed Providence game yet to be rescheduled, and it's looking more and more as if that might not happen, given the time remaining in the season, building conflicts, the lack of open dates, etc. Seton Hall has a solid resume, but wants to put a little shine to it. Six more wins gives them 10 in the conference, which should be enough to get a bid. But seeding in the NCAA tournament, as Zach alluded to, is very critical too. So piling up the victories is imperative. On a personal note, I'll be joining Dave Popkin in the radio booth for tomorrow's game against Creighton. Dave slides over to do play-by-play in Gary Cohen's absence, and I'll be fulfilling Dave's role as analyst. Looking forward to it, being at the Rock for my alma mater, and hopefully there's a better outcome than the first time around when I joined Dave in Milwaukee for that hard luck end-of-game loss to Marquette. Thanks to Zach Brazilla for graciously giving me his time. You can read Zach in the New York Post and follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Brazil. B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E. Just leave off the R from his last name. At NYPost underscore Brazil. Pirates Talk is available wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I invite you to rate the show, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, as always, to Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of the program and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. I'm Matt Lachlan. Until next time, be safe, be well, and let's go Pirates!